grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Why Mary Magdalene? Why was she the first one that the Lord chose to appear to? I don't know if you've ever looked very closely at this and who Mary Magdalene was, but that's what we're going to do today is look a little bit more closely at who this Mary was and think about why she was first among all that Jesus could have appeared to. In many cases in the first century world, it was not easy being a woman. This was not because of the patriarchal system, which some will tell you was the problem. That's not the problem. There are other reasons. For instance, if you were a Roman citizen and a woman, things weren't too bad. You could own property. You could own businesses. You could move freely in society. You had the rights to legal action and restitution if wronged. And generally, women in Roman society were well-educated. But still, the men were on top. And it depends a lot on how the men handle that position. But from one place to another, from one culture to another, it differed. For instance, now if you were a woman living in Jewish society, things were more restrictive. You had few rights if any, especially if you were married. As a child, you would fall under all the rights of your father, and after marriage, all your rights would be given to the husband. The only way a woman could own property was through inheritance. Generally, then, women were unseen in public life, and they were told to veil their faces if they appeared in public life. They were not educated compared to the boys who were given education at a young age. And the testimony and rights of a woman did not hold up in court, especially if challenged by a man, and even more so by the husband. The husband's word was valued above the wife, and their testimony was inadmissible. Generally, women were valued for their ability to bear children, And take care of the home. Now, don't get me wrong, because in and of itself, that's not a bad thing, to bear children and take care of the home. And we don't want to get caught up in this idea that somehow we have to liberate women from the home, because that's not what God is saying at all in the scriptures. In fact, he has given women the gift the privilege and the most honorable service of bearing children, a gift to the family. And being a stay-at-home mom is a sacred work to God. Our society has utterly tried to flip that thing on its head and destroy that idea. And so the Bible values humility, a quiet spirit, and submission in a woman. We are not demeaning this trying to come up with some false liberation. And the problem was not the calling from the Bible of men and women. The problem was men taking advantage 
of this situation for their own gain and regarding women as something lesser of value. You see, bearing children and serving in the home is not what gives a woman or a man or anyone value. Because then what would happen if a woman couldn't bear children, like Sarah in the Old Testament? Or what happened if a husband grows tired of how his wife is taking care of the home and he divorces her? Or what if that husband dies? Or what if that woman doesn't marry at all? Does she then lose her value? What happens if she is ending up like Mary Magdalene? Single and possessed by seven demons. An outcast of religious society. Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons, the Bible says, before Jesus healed her. As a single woman in the first century Jewish society, Mary Magdalene would have had little value to the society, little to contribute, limited rights, limited religious involvement, if any, a small purpose to her life other than to just survive and take care of herself. Add to this what Luke says about Mary, that these seven evil spirits tormented her. In our sermon today, we will look at why Mary is the most unusual of persons to be the first to, be, to see Jesus after his resurrection. But first of all, I think we need to clear up a few things about Mary. And I should say Mary's, plural. Because there's a lot of Mary's in the Bible. And if you want to take notes and take this home, this, this should go into your Bible somewhere. Because if you ever have this come up in a class or a sermon where we're talking about Mary, it's easy to get confused. Okay, there are seven Marys that I'm going to talk about, and this comes from an article at Brigham Young University online that breaks down these seven Marys. Okay, the first Mary is Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we know who she is. The second Mary is Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany we talked about two weeks ago when we mentioned a woman coming to anoint Jesus with oil and clean her, him with the hair of her head. And this Mary of Bethany, Bethany is close to Jerusalem, is not Mary Magdalene. This Mary is the Mary who is the sister of Martha. And we learned about her again last week when Lazarus was raised from the dead because Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all from the same family. Mary of Bethany is the one who sits at Jesus' feet when he teaches, which was an unusual thing to happen of itself, while Martha was doing her duty, preparing the house. The third Mary is Mary, the mother of James, who is mentioned briefly, appearing at the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection, and she's the part of a group of women that followed Jesus around. The fourth Mary is Mary of Clopas, and we assume that Clopas is the name of her husband, and she's mentioned one time in John 19. Fifth Mary is Mary, the mother of John Mark. She's mentioned in Acts chapter 12. And then the sixth Mary is Mary of Rome, who is mentioned in Romans chapter 16. Which then brings us to the seventh. 
Mary Magdalene. There's a lot of Marys. Mary Magdalene only is mentioned in the Passion account. I don't know if you're aware of this, but she really only comes up in the Passion account at the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. She's only mentioned briefly one other time in Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, she's mentioned here, following Jesus with some other women. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. That's the twelve apostles. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Mary Magdalene, then, is a part of a band of women who were attached to Jesus, following him, learning from him, and who were also healed and ministered to by him. Mary had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus, And these other women were helped by Jesus, too. They are disciples and followers of Jesus. Some are married. Some appear unmarried. Some might be divorced. Some might be widowed. Mary Magdalene is likely named, uh, is likely the leader of this group of women. She's always mentioned first. She's named after a town on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It was a fishing town. That's where she gets the name Magdalene. Mary appears to have had some money and was part of this ministry of support, whether financial support or housing or material support, cooking, providing food. These women helped Jesus in his ministry. Mary was a single woman, demon-possessed, and among the most unlikely to be noticed for anything other than being unwanted. We don't hear exactly how the healing went or what the seven demons was all about. We just hear that there were seven. And that number seven is significant because in the Bible, that seven is a number of completeness. So there was a total corruption. Nobody else in the Bible is mentioned to have seven demons. It's a total corruption. No one could help her. Was she practicing idolatry? Was she into witchcraft? We don't know. But something had happened that had caused this total corruption until Jesus came. And Jesus shows that he values each individual person, regardless of what the society sees. He values her as one who is created by the Father, corrupted by sin, and in need of saving. And whatever sins or idolatry had contributed to her getting to this point, Jesus is here to save her. After Mary's conversion and healing, then she becomes a part of this group of women who are following Jesus as disciples. And what Jesus is doing with these women is really stepping over some of these boundaries we talked about in Jewish society. These are not biblical boundaries. We're not talking about Jesus making these women apostles. He names the 12 men to be apostles. 
But it does show us that Jesus ministers to the unlikely ones, the ones who in society would normally not be seen and not be heard from, and they would not be part of following a rabbi. This is shocking and even scandalous to some in their society. However, they forget what the law says. Jesus is returning to the Old Testament principles from Genesis, that God made both male and female in his image, that both are valued equally by God. In fact, the wife, the first wife, Eve, is even honored above Adam. She is the last and the crown of creation in God's making. The wife is God's most beautiful and the completion of his work. For without her, Adam would be incomplete. Likewise, the Old Testament tells many stories of outcast women and barren women who God chooses for great things. The greatest example are women who bear the seed of the Messiah, like Sarah. And also examples like Hannah in the temple, who offers her son to the Lord after he gives her the gift she had been barren. Or Deborah, who God uses to help in her wisdom to rescue Israel from its great tragedy. Or Ruth, who sacrifices her own background and home to help Naomi after their husbands die. And now Jesus chooses these women to be his disciples, and they fulfill their purpose by ministering to him, by providing for his needs as he goes about preaching the gospel. He is showing them that for a single man, for a single woman or a single man, they might feel incomplete because they didn't get married, or for a woman who isn't able to bear children, that the, that incompleteness is fulfilled in Jesus, in ministering to him, in being part of his fellowship, and now witnessing his resurrection. So this woman, Mary, is among the most unlikely to be the first witness. One of the reasons that she is even more unlikely is women were women's testimony in court was not regarded as, as admissible. And so you have the testimony witness of the first who have seen the resurrection coming to these men, and at first they don't believe her. Later Jesus has to rebuke their unbelief because they didn't believe the women. Mary is the most corrupt at first and the most complete and honored in the end. The last of all has become first of all. She saw him die. She watched the body taken down. She went to the tomb. She saw them put the body in the tomb. And she was the first to arrive at dawn to anoint his body. She's the first to stand at the mouth of the open tomb. And as dawn approaches, she sees the stone has been rolled away. She runs to tell Peter and John, who come and look, and they too see the body is gone. But Mary stays. She is distraught. She's weeping. There's no closure for her if the body of Jesus has been taken away and she cannot anoint it. She looks into the tomb and two men are sitting there. Woman, why are you weeping? They tell her. 
Why is she weeping? Why do we weep? She weeps because she has no closure, no ability to say goodbye. But we don't have to be a first century woman to have lost Jesus to have been in this place. From the beginning, we've all felt the corruption of sin. We've experienced it. Maybe you've been to the point where you've been tormented by the devil. Maybe you've forgotten whether God really cares. Maybe you've felt unwanted, unclean, unvaluable, useless. Maybe you've lost a sense of where your importance and purpose come from. Maybe you've lost someone or something in your life has changed dramatically and you're struggling to find yourself and your purpose. If they have stolen his body, then we can only stand at that tomb confused and weeping because Jesus is the only one that can fill those question marks. He is our life, our worth, and our calling. He alone completes us. And we can watch the crucifixion and see the sadness of it and see how we deserve to be on that cross for our sins. We should have died, but he had to die. And we weep and are distraught if we cannot find Jesus afterward. We lose our joy if we lose Jesus. Woman, why are you weeping? A voice behind Mary has spoken. She cannot recognize him at first. She's too lost in the confusion. She thinks he's the gardener. And in a way, he is. He's the first gardener, the gardener of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, and he's here to tell her that spring has arrived, and there's work to be done. And so he speaks her name, Mary. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Jesus has called each one of you by name, and he knows each one of you, and you are important to him. He says, though, do not cling to me. Do not try to hang on to my earthly presence and my earthly body. Rather, cling to the Holy Spirit because he had to ascend on high. And only through the Holy Spirit can we then cling to him in a much greater, much more special way. Wherever we are, Jesus is there. Mary is the first to say, I have seen the Lord, but we can continue to say that. Mary is the first to be sent, go tell my brethren, but we can continue to do that. Mary is the first resurrection evangelist, the last, but now the first, which reminds us that this is the way of grace for all of us, the lonely, the sick, the disabled, whether you're a man, a woman, or a child, he speaks your name. It also reminds us that women have work to do alongside the men. In our teachings, which are based on scripture, the men are called to lead. They're called to be the pastor. But they're not called to take advantage of women. And also, we must never forget, women are called also. They're called to evangelize the message of the resurrection, to tell the men 
to tell the leaders with all humility that the Lord is risen. Their testimony counts, and they have a ministry to continue to support the work of Jesus, to serve each other and not ourselves. For example, the LWO is a reworking of this first group of women. It's representing what this first group of women, led by Mary Magdalene, were doing. And it's continuing to do that work. And if you're a woman in the congregation, that's something to be a part of, to be invested in. Here, we have Peter being among the first of the men and Mary being among the first of the women. And they all need to tell the brethren the good news, as we do too. He is risen. Amen.